down to business. I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi, and uh, I got my blackjack gum here, and I got that feeling. Mmm. Yeah, that familiar feeling that something rank is going down out there. And welcome everyone to Ian Hates Movies. I hope you enjoyed my little intro there. Had to try something different. Nick, you have joined me again and with a sweet ass mic. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I, I figured I'd uh, get up to radio quality for this one. I, I don't know if I'll uh, hold back the uh, sound effects in the background, but uh, we'll see what we do. I almost <laughs> thought about bringing out my old soundboard for this episode. I thought <laughs> it would be, if there was ever a time for it to be appropriate, now would be the time. But yeah, man, I, I am extremely excited. Everyone has seen the title of this episode. We're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite movies. I would say at least top 10, maybe even top five movie for me, pump up the volume. But there's a lot of background here. And I want to start out right away. I want to ask you, Nick, was this the first time you've ever seen this movie? I haven't seen this since, oh, geez, I was probably like 14. It was my same time I was introduced to, like, Heathers. Yes. Nice. So, like, that whole black comedy sphere. A lot of John Cusack back in my day. So right. <laughs> this kind of folded into that era of my movie-watching experience. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. Yeah, for me, this movie is part of the trifecta of what makes me love Christian Slater. So... We did an episode a very long time ago. I believe it was me and Kelly, if I'm not mistaken. It was on Heathers. So Heathers was a huge movie for me. It still is. That's also a top five movie for me. It, so Christian Slater for me was Heathers we did an episode on. We're doing an episode now on Pump Up the Volume, which I'm actually very surprised that I didn't do this a lot, a lot sooner. And then the last one is True Romance. That's the third one for me, and we will probably be doing an episode on that in the future as well. Now, is that the same for you, or have you even seen True Romance before? I have never seen True Romance. That's a little crazy to me. Did you know that that is Quentin Tarantino's first written script? No, not at all. Oh, oh shit. That's kind of insane. Actually, that movie, we shouldn't go into that too much right now, but... That movie has two amazing scenes in it that people still talk about to this day. Now, Quentin Tarantino didn't direct it, but he did write it. And the two scenes that I'm talking about are so well-written and so brutal that they're almost unforgettable in the cinema sphere, let's say. So, yeah, we're going to have to do that at some point. But that's what kind of solidified me on Christian Slater. Now, we can talk later on about movies like Broken Arrow and shit like that, but the, those movies just don't compare to three amazing, amazing movies between writing. I, I wouldn't, I don't even know if I'd say directing necessarily, but writing for sure, acting, and just the dark comedy storyline that they follow was such a big deal for me. And, and growing up, this was such a big deal for me. So, this was your second time then <laughs> watching yeah. it. <laughs> I have yeah, to, you know, I uh, yeah. Go ahead. I only knew him as the voice of Deadshot in Suicide Squad, of course, in Hell to Play. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Our, 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 he's an archer, a Slater. Ooh. Ooh. Well, what a <laughs> I mean, name! I think though. he's been in like a couple of the Croods movies as well. That uh, was that Disney. Holy Pixar. shit! Pixar, I think, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> 
Well, I'm just trying to think, like, if you if you take out the early 90s, what does somebody know Christian Slater for? Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, Mr. Robot, right? People know him from that, too. Oh, yeah. But that's yeah, I, a, that. I have not watched that show yet. I mean, I, I might get to it at some point, but I have not gotten to it yet. Mm. I don't know. Same. It never, yeah, it never had that kind of huge appeal to me, but I know it won a bunch of awards and it launched the career of that Malik guy or whatever. But mm-hmm. then I saw that fucking Queen movie and I was like, I don't, I don't give a shit about this guy. That, that movie <laughs> is absolute garbage. And you can listen to an episode of Ian Hates Movies on how much I fucking hate that movie. But anyways, I, I digress. We're talking about positivity here. <laughs> positivity here. Are you sure? Do we watch the same movie? No! Oh, no. Is this going to be something where I'm going to be so mad at you? <laughs> no, no, no. It's oh, not okay. overtly negative, but uh, oh. we'll, we'll see. You scared we'll, we'll butt heads a couple times, I'm sure. You fucking scared me to death there. All right, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> well, I, I, I think a little bit of background is necessary for this movie. So this movie came out in 1990. So at this time, I don't believe Nick was even alive. I was barely alive, so I highly doubt that Nick was. I, I didn't see this movie until... Probably when I was in high school in the 2000s. I would say somewhere around there would be my guess. Maybe middle school time. Somewhere around there. And then I've seen this movie probably hundreds of times would be my guess. I have the DVD because I don't I don't think they make this on Blu-ray. And then they just, for anyone who doesn't, you know, have a have a DVD anymore, uh, you can actually uh stream this now on HBO Max, which I was super surprised about. And I think that's what got me thinking about doing this movie because now people can actually see it because this is never played on TV. This is never streamed anywhere. This wasn't on Netflix or Hulu or any of that kind of shit. So to have it on HBO Max gives it a a wide berth. But it is a quintessential 90s movie. I mean, I'm sure you've seen many of them, Nick. You can't you can't disregard the time period on this. It wasn't, it was kind of going from the 80s to the 90s, but it is definitely the way people were dressed, the way they acted, the way it was written was full on 90s. Yeah. And I enjoyed that. It was interesting. Yeah. Even, even the way it's kind of shot in the opening felt yes. 80s. And it's yep. definitely like stylistic 80s movies, but you're right. It's utterly, it's so quintessential to that transitional period into the 90s and the style and the way they talk. Right. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I like that part of it, that just kind of overarchingness of of what the 90s were. And then I also had to look it up because I wasn't sure. Because just for anyone who doesn't know, you know, in this in this movie, Christian Slater is playing a character named Mark. He moved from New York City down to a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, and it's just out in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't look like he's near anything. He even mentions at one point that, you know, the only thing he could do if he had a driver's license was drive to a fucking mall, and who gives a fuck about that? And I had to look up, and and he basically starts a a shock jock, you know, type radio show, and, and, you know, it, it pirates the airwaves technically or whatever. So I had to look up what was going on in that time, and I wanted to see if this was like before shock jocks were really popular. Mm. It turns out that Howard Stern actually got pretty famous around 1985 or so. Yeah. So it is around that time. It's understandable that they would take this kind of, you know, I, I guess perspective in this movie. Opie and Anthony started in 95. And there were probably other random shock shocks, 
you know, during during those times. Maybe Imus or something, if you want to consider him a shock chuck. But it was still relatively ahead of its time. And we'll obviously get to the end of the movie. But this really spoke to me as a kid. And right now, I think it would really speak to people with podcasts. And we can certainly get to that later. But I think that's kind of why this movie was so important to me was it actually gave me a love of radio that I didn't necessarily have until I had seen this movie. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, that's at least that's the way I took it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think specifically, you know, thinking about it from the podcast angle and as, you know, something, a movie about free speech at its core. Yes. I think it's an interesting time if people, you know, from the modern day revisit it. And if anybody hears me and my mic abruptly cut off, of course, that's because Ian is silencing the truth and doesn't want (laughs) an opposing position on apparently a formative movie to him. I I like that you're finally doing what Kelly has criticized you of, and that's apparently you are going to disagree with me. So I'm looking forward to how this goes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm still a coward. Don't get me wrong, but... I'm a coward with opinions. I and that's what we I'll need on this show. That is, that is what we need. <laughs> so yeah, we mentioned Christian Slater is the lead character. I also want to give a nod to Samantha Math- uh, Mathis, Samantha Mathis, who played Nora in this movie as well. Now she went on to do a lot of things. I remember her specifically from doing the voice in Fern Gully. I'm, I'm sure you've seen that at some point, and then also. Uh, in American Psycho, she played one of the women in that movie as well. And she's done a lot of things in her career. But I was so fucking in love with her when I saw this movie. Like that that girl, when she, I mean, just everything about her, I was all about. It's an interesting one because I think I know her only from like Broken Arrow. And then uh, funny enough, the Super Mario Bros. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should do a show on that movie at some point. Oh, God. Oh, how fun would that be? How fun would that be? So, yeah, I just had to... She's she's a love interest, but I also... And and we're starting kind of early with this kind of stuff, but I don't think this is really necessarily a movie where we go scene by scene. I think it's more that we talk about in generalities and stuff and and Mm. concepts and ideas. And one of the things that I liked about this movie, again, is it had... Like it had, I guess the way to put it is it had natural, strong female characters, right? Yeah. I mean, Nora is exactly what you want her to be. She's the one that makes the first move. She's the one that goes out of her way to try and change things in this area by getting, you know, Mark or Christian Slater to do what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, how much are we uh, giving away the future of the movie? Uh, like, well, we're we not going scene by scene. We're not going scene by scene. Should we hold? I, I look. I honestly don't care. I'm just. I'm happy talking about this movie. So whatever you want to do on this one, I'm fine. If we want to change the format, rock and roll. Yeah, because I, I would butt in there and I'd say, realistically, as far as like the thematic outcome of the film, she is the protagonist. I would argue. Okay, because I now, would say, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. yeah, I would say Mark kind of acts as the mouthpiece. But as he says in most of his, you know, speeches, you know, he's just, 
You know, he's just deranged. He's just talking out <laughs> loud. He's he's got his Christian Slater voice. Oh, and he does it. his Christian Slater thing. Yes. Whereas Nora, you know, has the pointed goal of like, you know, she's been in this community for longer than him, mm-hmm. and you know, she knows it needs rescuing. So as far as you know, the protagonist role being the person who interacts with the environment and causes, you know, the good shift and the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd argue that Christian Slater's just the mouthpiece, which is kind of fitting for, you know, his role as the shock jock. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I like that view of it. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about because we've we've done this so many times in the show where we talk about a, a character being organic and a character mm-hmm. not being forced into a role they're not supposed to be a part of. And everyone in this movie felt organic. It felt like there were a couple of parts where they were a little iffy on the dialogue. Maybe, you know, it was kind of too on the money for what it actually would be. You know, when when the uh, cheerleader-ish, you know, straight-A girl who every woman hates and looks up to in the high school and stuff, when she puts all of her medals and her trophies and shit in the microwave and it blows up and stuff, that's a little bit, like, you know, who gives a shit. And then, you know, her doing her little speech about being yourself. And, and, you know, I was trying to be perfect, but only playing perfect. And it's a little bit too, I don't know, like I said, on the nose. But other than that, it's these guys are organic characters. And I don't feel like Nora is forced into a role that she's not supposed to be in. Yeah, I'd agree there. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. It, it really, I, and then also we got to see her tits, and that was fucking great. <laughs> so you just add in the extra. I mean, that scene. I know it's sacrilege to complain about that scene, but oh my god, that's how one of my you, bigger nitpicks? How are you going to wait? Nip, nip picks? Is that N I P? Oh, shock, shock. All right. Well, go ahead. I want to hear. I want to hear your nitpick for that. Yeah, I think thinking of her as a protagonist makes a lot of sense. And I would say that's her own internal conflict, obviously, to rouse Mark into, you know, waking up the town, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. And I didn't really buy that scene as like, yeah, just two high schoolers slowly circling each other for 10 (laughs) minutes as the camera pans in and out because, you know, it's union break and nobody wanted to actually cut the film. I, I get it. You could cut out 10 seconds of that. I, I, totally... I think you could cut out two minutes of that. Well, hold on, hold on. So they have a great song playing in the background. Yep. I thought that I want to fall in love. Part. Say that again? Yep. Sorry. Yeah, amazing move on his part. Yeah, and, and look, he was an extremely, I mean, they didn't, sh- you know, not to do a pun here, they didn't shy away from how shy he is. He needed that microphone to be the mm-hmm. person that he wanted to be. I guess is the way you can put it. So in school, he was always the guy by himself and he couldn't talk to, you know, he said hi to Paige at one point and, but that was it. And then when Nora found out who he was, he still didn't interact with her, even knowing that she was into him. So to have that scene, I don't know, maybe it's because I was extremely shy and I was an introvert, you know, in high school. And I still, even though I think I am sometimes a different person on mic, than I am in the real world, quote unquote, real world. That kind of thing speaks to me because, yeah, I don't think I would have panned around, you know, for that whole time waiting for the kiss, knowing that she wanted the kiss. But I can certainly tell you that, I mean, it would take me a little while to make that move. That's for sure. 
Yeah, it just seemed a little long. I mean, right, we agree <laughs> on that. And then, well, yeah. yeah, it just got me out of it a little bit. No, I got you. You want to be the naysayer. You want to challenge me. I get it. I, I understand. <laughs> I understand what you're doing. Well, look, the movie is an hour and 45. I think we've talked about length of movies, you know, especially with the fucking movies we've done in the past oh, have yeah. been those three hour plus 245, all that shit. There is no reason for that unless it's some crazy, crazy epic movie. And even in most of those cases, it's still not even worth it. So 145 I can deal with. I think if you probably shaved, I don't know, I'd say 10 minutes off of this, you'd probably be in an even tighter, better position. But the thing that I liked about this movie too is I think leaving it on a lot of the music cues was really smart of them as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, showing his showing his setup, you know, the setup that his parents... Now, keep in mind, this. I think this movie is very smart, but I also think it's very dumb in certain ways as well. There is no way that his parents would not be able to put together that he's happy Harry Hardon. There's no fucking way. I mean, yeah. they know they purchased the equipment for him. He specifically says that. Plus, there are many times where he says he came from New York and the East Coast, and then they mention it multiple times. He's He seems to be the only new person in the school. Oh, yeah. And, and then also, the, his father being the commissioner of the school district, they introduce him as being from the East Coast and doing a great job in the East Coast. Anyone there would have been like, oh, yeah, well, then obviously it's it's Mark. Yeah. But I did like I did like the parents busting in on him, though, you know, after the the big PTA meeting when the parents busted in on him and he had to hide everything. And then Nora was smart enough to jump up. And then they were just like, fuck, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that was a, that was the moment that really made me like love Nora as a character. Like that was quick thinking on her yes. part. And that was that was a great scene. That was well put together. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. Then he gets on the mic. You know, she leaves. He gets on the mic and then. You know, she's out there. I, I don't know why he took his shirt off. I thought that was <laughs> I got to tell you, Nick, I know this might disappoint you, but on all of our podcast episodes, I've never taken my shirt off. But I just imagine you chewing gum, smoking cigarettes, oh. and then feigning that you're masturbating the whole time. Oh, well, I mean, that's for sure. I'm actually masturbating, though. Well, I just don't... That, verbally masturbating. Yeah, I'd oh, agree abs with. You're absolutely. Jerking yourself off on all these yeah, episodes. Yeah, just spewing, yeah. just spewing everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, can we? I need to mention two things about what you said that have nothing to do with the masturbation part. One is blackjack gum is fucking disgusting. It is absolutely <laughs> fucking. It is literal gum that tastes like black licorice. I, I got it at like a novelty store or something one time. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be fucking cool like Christian Slater. And I'm going to try this gum. And it was fucking disgusting. The next thing is, holy shit, how do you not want to smoke a fucking cigarette after watching that movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like every these days and vaping the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I honestly, I remember watching that when I was young. And when they say that movies and TVs have an influence on, on kids smoking and that's why they don't want them to do it. I totally get it because between Heather's True Romance and Pump Up the Volume, I wanted to start smoking cigarettes. <laughs> that was before my time. By my time, you know, they'd already like extinguished that part of American culture. Oh no, during my time too. But it still made me want to fucking smoke cigarettes. <laughs> like it's just... <laughs> I was like, what are these things called cigarettes? Because I never see them advertised. And I was like, oh, yeah, all of my friends smoke. 
and and half of my family smokes. And yeah, I'm I'm not gonna do it, but holy shit, did I want to? Yeah, you'd look cool as fuck if you did. Oh I'm my god! Be didn't didn't Christian Slayer look cool as fuck? Oh yeah, and I never knew if he was drinking a beer while he did it. I know he made the offhand comment no. to his dad, but it's the diet wild cherry oh, Pepsi. It's the diet, yeah, yeah, which I think is cool because I like soda. So I was like, fuck yeah, Christian Slater, that's the way to be. <laughs> Happy Harry Hard on. We should. That is his name for anyone that doesn't realize what we're doing. Happy Harry Hard on is his second personality, his uh, radio personality, if you will. Uh, but yes, it was the Wild Cherry Pepsi. But man, I look. The other thing that made me want to smoke, and it's so fucking, it's disgusting, but I hate the scene so. I mean, sorry, I love the scene so much. Is in Heather's when Winona Ryder. They've killed like however many people they've killed by now. They killed the two football people and they're in the car and to feel something, she takes the cigarette lighter in the car, which is now obviously something that is, doesn't exist in cars anymore. But she puts in the cigarette uh, <laughs> lighter, she takes it out and she burns her palm and screams and Christian Slayer just grabs her hand and lights the cigarette off of her hand. <laughs> it was pretty slick. <laughs> And what do you mean they don't have them in cars anymore? It's the 12-volt charger used to charge your phone. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the other use? I had no idea. I just yeah. I charge my masturbation tools with that. Woo, woo, woo. woo. I'm trying to I'm trying to do the uh the soundboard for our shock oh, shot, I like Ian, it. but uh, I'm failing horribly. Do a bunch of fart sounds. We need that. Yeah, I, I, right now I'm just putting a bunch of butter on my elbow so I can just make the <laughs> masturbation noises in the background when you start jerking yourself off over how good this movie is. Well, remember, is. I'm going to I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if it works. I'm going to hit the back of my neck the way the way Mark does. Let's see. Listen, tell me if you can hear it. Can you hear that? Barely. I heard ah. the first one and the last one. They got kind of muffled. I wonder if people in the podcast can hear it. But yeah, that's what that's what he was doing. But I loved his setup. I love that whole downtown, uh, not downtown, uh, the basement setup that he had for his little studio. And then, I, you know, you can't do a, a cordless mic. There's no way to do a cordless mic for that kind of setup. But he had to walk around. He had to do all of his shenanigans and all that kind of stuff, act out stuff. But when I was a kid watching that movie, it wasn't necessarily about doing the quote-unquote shock shock stuff. It was about being able to talk about whatever the fuck you wanted. That's that's what I love so much about this movie. Yeah, I guess that uh, that's where it kind of falls apart for me because maybe, you know, being of a different era, you sure. know, being born in the late 90s, <laughs> um, I always felt that this kind of team dramedy always had to have you know, some kind of moral lesson you gain out of it. And so I came to it with the lens that, you know, your protagonist is supposed to like, you know, be the person who learns something about themselves and portrays the positive message to the audience. And I don't think I got that at all. Really? Which, you know, maybe it's just a fault of me and not the movie, but, you know. Well. It, it was interesting because with all the conflicts that come up around his radio personality, like the the host and the antics versus who he is as a real person. I did imagined that the way he redeems himself with the community is not by stoking the flames, but by, you know, teaching them why they should be mad or well, something of that sort. Well, so I, I would say, I would say there are twofold. There's, there's something he did twofold. And I thought they did a good job of setting this up in the movie. If you notice it wasn't just him joking around all the time. It definitely was. I mean, he was 
making jokes about things. He was, you know, doing the masturbation stuff, all, all you know, making fun of his parents, all that kind of stuff. And and talking about himself as well, you know, as truthfully as he could while using the voice modification. But what I also liked is he even called that out, right? He called out, you know, this show is even fake because I'm not being honest with you guys. I have a voice uh, modulation on this, so you can't tell who I am. But what I enjoyed about the other stuff was they started right away with him calling the guidance counselor. And by calling the guidance counselor right away and asking why all these students had been suspended or expelled, that started the whole entire arc of him really actually caring about what was going on as well. So it wasn't all about him. It wasn't him just trying to find a voice. It wasn't him, you know, just originally trying to keep in contact with his friends back in New York. It became he was doing the right thing. And as he got, you know, the girl who was pregnant, who was kicked out, when he got her back in school, when he started calling people that had real problems and then kept on with the school showing there was something wrong here, there's something going on, that is the lesson, I think, is what you're supposed to get is that you're supposed to stand up for the people that don't have a voice. And that's really literal, but I think that's honestly the message right there is you know, be yourself and speak for people who can't speak for themselves. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess I, I got the different takeaway. And I, I, maybe I, I thought too much into the, like the ending ending, you know, sure. where you fade to black and it's a bunch of people starting their own pirate radio stations. Right. I took it as more of, you know, free speech and journalism, express yourself and find your voice rather than, you know, the obligation of using your voice to, you know, help other people or well, uplift a community. Let me mention just on on that topic that you mentioned. So when all those other radio stations are starting, quote unquote, radio stations are starting at the end. Did you notice that one of them, the main one that they really kind of highlighted was the one about if you're homeless, if you're a homeless teen and you have nowhere to go, call this line and, and we'll help. So that's why I think it is still on that whole. Oh, yeah. gotcha. You know, when you hear some of those voices, you know they're just having fun. And that's there's no problem with that, obviously. There's probably millions of podcasts right now uh, where people just don't give a fuck and no one's listening to them and they're just talking into their, their microphone to basically no one. But I think the, the message still is one of using your power, using your voice for the good of others as well. I think that's still the final message. The other message, you're absolutely correct. It is just, and we did grow up in different times, but what people have to understand is with podcasts, there is nobody there is nobody regulating podcasts besides regular people. Regular people can quote unquote cancel you for whatever, whatever you want, but that doesn't count as an authority figure. Back in that time, the FCC was a big deal. And even up until... You know, when you talk about the Super Bowl with Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake, when George W. Bush was president, the FCC gave uh, gave people huge amounts of power that they didn't have before. The FCC used to be something that had a ton of power. If they had the power over podcasts, this would be a completely different story. But actual radio is almost dead. Unless you're talking sports, politics, or religion. There aren't shock jocks anymore. There are no shock jocks on actual radio. That that doesn't exist. It's sports, politics, and religion. 
That's the only thing that makes money anymore. That's the only thing you can talk about. So, but back in the 90s, having a talk show and getting things out in the air was very restricted by the FCC. So to challenge that and say, hey, you have the freedom, the airways are yours, steal the air, take what's yours and use your voice for good or just use your voice to be yourself or whatever it happens to be, that was a big statement at that time. Gotcha, all right. Yeah, I guess I I lost that historical context and you're right. Because a lot of like the last, you know, I guess the last plot element, the rising action of the movie revolves around the FCC being in town. Yes. So yeah, (laughs) looking at it from that lens, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it is funny. And a lot of people don't realize how much the FCC had control of certain things for a very, very long time. Like I said, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, if you hear... You know, any of those morning shows and stuff, because I wouldn't call anything a shock jock anymore, but there are definitely morning shows that, you know, they they want the moms and dads driving in the car to work every day, right? They want that rush hour traffic, you know, people listening to them. Any of yeah. those War of the Roses, and I know I've talked about this on the show before, but any of those like fake, uh, well, people think they're real, but War of the Roses or The Fugitive or any of those like second date. Uh, disaster call-in show, any any of that shit, any prank phone calls are all completely fake. You're not allowed to do any of that stuff. That's not real. Now, in a time, really? yeah, in the 90s, it was real, for sure. But then they passed laws, and in, in I think it's every single state because it's a federal thing when it comes to, you know, airways crossing to state lines and all that kind of shit. Basically, what happens is there are laws that say, In order to do anything, you have to first tell that person on the phone that they are on the radio. You can't tell them afterwards. You can't have them sign something afterwards. You have to tell them before it's recorded that one, it's being recorded, and the other, you're on the radio. Wow. Yeah, so you can't do any prank calls. You can't do any of that stuff. And all that War of the Roses thing where, you know, they try and catch a guy or a woman who are cheating. So they they have a fake person call them up. All of that goes by the same rules. You can't call someone and pretend to be a flower station. and A flower station. A flower store and say, we're going to send a free thing to you. What's their name and number? And, you know, then the person, the, the angry woman comes on and says, that's not my name. All that bullshit. All of that is completely fake. So the FCC does have a lot of pool or did have a lot of pool. Now, like I said, radio's dying. So anyone can do whatever the fuck they want on podcasts. So you don't have to worry about that. But anything you hear on the radio, completely fake. Wow. So that's why it was such a big deal. And when that thing happened with uh, with Justin Timberlake and uh, what's her name at Jan Jackson. At Jan Jackson. Super, yeah, at the Super Bowl, they used to do fines of like, I want to say it was – $20,000 to $30,000 if you had a violation. So if someone had reported your radio station or whatever to the FCC, maybe you get a $20,000 fine. And maybe that didn't matter. Maybe that was just chump change. If you were bringing in millions of dollars in ad revenue and all that shit, then that's nothing. 20 grand, 30 grand, who gives a fuck? But then it became after George W. Bush gave more power to the FCC, they made fines and regulations or more a pop. So you couldn't do any of the stuff that you were doing before. None of that stuff was allowed. 
with this movie trying to fight back against the FCC, that was a real fight back then. That was a big deal because people didn't get to talk about what they really wanted to. And right now, if you tried to, like I said, if you started a radio fucking show and you started to try and talk about stuff, you can't do that. The FCC would be on you in a fucking second. Yeah. That's why podcasting is so cool is because you can do whatever the fuck you want. And the only people that can quote unquote cancel you are people listening. And that's if cancellation is actually real when it comes to this shit. Even if I was, Uh even if I was canceled, I could still do a show if I wanted to. Hmm. So yeah, so anyways, that's my long tirade. I know I've talked about this on the show before, but that's my long tirade on why radio is dead and why this was so important at the time it came out. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I guess I, I lost that historical context because Ian is old as absolute hell. <laughs> Imagine uh, being alive when radio was around. Ugh. I, I, yeah, right. Like right now, even satellite radio is dead. So there's there's like nothing, nothing for people to listen to except for podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't have cell service, you're just fucked. Yeah, unless you download it, unless you use your download option. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, it's it's a completely different thing. The other thing I want to mention, too, I thought this was kind of interesting. I read a interview with Christian Slater in 2020, I think, and he mentioned that playing Mark in this movie is his favorite role that he's ever done. So I thought I thought that was pretty interesting. And then the other thing that that kind of got brought up was that, and I think I can agree with this too, they really didn't talk about suicide in a lot of movies back then, but this movie didn't pull really any punches, you know, besides not showing it. There was that scene, and I, I still remember this scene because I think this was pretty important back when I was a kid. Watching that scene with the guy who, you know, he wrote in, he said he's going to commit suicide or should he, you know, kill himself and then having Mark call him and having their discussion and then having him actually still go through with it. He wasn't talked out, you know, he wasn't talked out of it. He still went through with it. That really wasn't shown in a lot of movies back then. So that was kind of a big deal. And then I also really enjoyed what uh, I'll say Harry said, you know, afterwards, what he said on the show, I think that's kind of important for people to hear and for people to understand, even though it was still done in a joking way, there was seriousness to it as well. What did you think about that? I thought that was expertly done. I think I was absolutely love in love with the movie, I'd say until like 15 minutes after that, because (laughs) of how well they built the character around Harry. Yeah. Well, you know, about, yeah. you understood he, he's still, you know, finding his voice, you know, he's shy in school, he's in a new area. You understood his fight with authority as his dad moves him around and how his parents sold out. Yes. And it gives you a view into like, oh, yeah, like he he does have this compassion around, you know, the person that's on the other side of the line. But as he finds his voice, maybe he doesn't say the right words. Right. Yeah. I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think that's exactly right. Is he what what people have to also remember about this is he's a fucking teenager. Now, I don't know if they did makeup on his face to to make him kind of broken out and stuff, but he's a fucking teenager in this movie or playing a teenager at least. I actually don't know how old he was, but I'm sure he was just in his early twenties, would be my guess. Yeah, it's definitely more believable than a lot of other uh, high school type movies. Right. So you have to you have to think, yeah, this isn't fucking Breakfast Club. 
you know, he's not a philosopher, <laughs> he's not a fucking philosopher at, you know, yeah. 15, 16 or whatever. But, and, and I think that's why I like the writing. I, he doesn't always say the right thing, but he's trying and he's trying to understand. So he doesn't tell, you know, he makes a joke about, you know, did you write a note? You know, you got to write a note, but then he talks about being alone and how yeah. it's okay to be alone. And I think that's something that's really come into our culture a lot in the last, you know, I would say probably even before COVID, but even more stressed, I think, once once the pandemic hit and everything, is that it's it's okay to isn't isn't the saying it's okay not to be okay or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. they they brought it to, you know, it's okay to be alone, which it is. And and some people don't grasp that caught that concept that it is okay to be alone. And he, at that point, is being real. And he talks about how, you know, he's alone at that school. He doesn't have any friends. He eats his lunch alone. And, but people think sometimes that talking to people on this radio, or let's just call it podcasting, right? People believe that that means you're not alone. But I can say from experience for sure, and it's nice that a lot of times I can catch up with friends like, you know, with Nick right now on the show. I'm not alone doing this show. But if I do Kiss the Ring, my other podcast, I'm alone. I'm not talking to anybody. And I can go the full day. You know, you got to talk to people at work and whatnot. And he mentions talking to teachers. But really, if you're not doing anything, you're not coming home to somebody, you don't have a significant other or whatever or a partner or whatever, a lot of times you are alone. And if I turn on the mic, I don't feel like I have a huge audience that is with me at that moment. I'm I'm talking to myself. That's that's what that show is. That show is for me. That's my that's my therapy in a way is to do that. I don't feel like I'm not alone at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's an interesting one too. I mean, I'm an a remarkably extroverted human being. Meaning, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. It, meaning it, it, it takes me to like talk through stuff when I'm not exactly sure what I'm feeling. Ah, so okay. it's interesting to see it in the high school space because, yeah, you're right. We're talking about somebody who's alone, who's figuring out their place in a, you know, a scary new environment. And, you know, by having hard Harry around as a personality, you know, it allows mark to actually like discover stuff about himself which is a part of the movie i really liked yeah because he's inherently alone right and this gives him he's he's talking into the void but because he's talking you know he gets that feedback yeah and that's i think i think it's tough for parents to understand that a lot i mean i think it was handled pretty well in this movie because i don't know maybe it's from my personal experience but being an air force brat and moving around to so many random places my whole entire life up to, you know, college and even then moving around after that as well. But having to start that new school, and I wish I had had some fucking radio, some CB radio fucking shit that I could have set up so that I could have tried to talk to old friends or do something similar to what he did because it is really fucking difficult. And your parents telling you, I, I mean, this is personal experience. My parents said almost the exact same things that his parents said to him. They're, they're asking, you know, why can't you, you know, why don't you find a girlfriend? Why can't you talk to people? You know, there are excellent programs at the school, all that kind of stuff. And then you get, you know, you tell them, well, no, I can't, I can't talk to the girls here. I can't, you know, get in touch with 
my old friends, I can't make the same connections that I made before. And then they start yelling at you because they think you're doing something wrong. That Well, sorry, they don't think you're doing something wrong, but they don't understand because they're adults. They look back at their life like, oh, well, I would have just done this. But that's not how it fucking works in real life. Like, no, you don't, not at all. Yeah, you don't think about that when you're a teenager. Like, I, I, I brought up on the show before that movie, uh, The New Guy. You remember that with DJ Quayle and uh, what's her face from New Girl was in that movie? Oh, jeez. Yeah, remember? Yeah. <laughs> like he he is a a kid who gets bullied all the time, and he has a horrendous stu- an incident that would never happen in real life happened to him at his high school, and he ends up pretending to be a new type of person and going to a different high school how many people who would have thought to do that as a fucking teenager oh yeah that's not something that happens like like i said i had multiple high schools i had multiple middle schools i had multiple elementary schools i never once thought let me go ahead and be a completely different person who would know yeah who would know that i'm this complete why don't i try and be a badass why don't I try and be whatever, like a goth kid or something? Why don't I do whatever I feel like doing? No one can call me on it because it's fucking high school. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's I think that's an interesting concept. And I it felt this movie felt, even though, you know, it, it unraveled a vast conspiracy of, of using uh, money in schools you know, illegally to to make them better in some way. Like it was an interesting plot of what they were doing. I had never thought about that as, as something that that's, uh, schools would do, right? To go ahead, get the funding that you would get annually and then get rid of the troublemaker kids, but leave them on the books so you can you continue getting the money. That's an interesting concept, yeah. right? So to have that big conspiracy is, is obviously different. I didn't go through that in school. But to have the other parts of it were very realistic to me. So I think mm-hmm. that's why I connected with the movie so much. Now, you you might have had a completely different outlook on high school because you didn't move around and you were extremely extroverted. So that's going to be, you know, you you might not connect to it the same way I do. Yeah, totally understandable. Yeah, but I, I love that. And I think that's why still to this day, I get shivers sometimes when I watch it because it really still speaks to me. And it is one of the reasons why I got into radio and why I started podcasting was because I still to this day love that idea of being able to turn on a mic and talk about whatever the fuck you want. And believe me, I one thing I miss or one thing I, I've done it before when I was in radio, I, I used to take calls. I would love to fucking take calls. I, I would love to set up a P.O. box and have people send me letters and then answer them on the radio and call somebody and have it so that I could do a talk show. I would fucking love to do that. And to suit you. I, I appreciate that. And that's that's the other thing, too, man. I like like what we do on the show is live because we're doing it live. But when you, you know, you go through, you process it, you make th- sure things sound good, you put it out there. I would really love to do a live live show that I would really truly enjoy. I think you and I came close when we did the commentary track for uh, what was the Army of the Dead or whatever the show. Oh God, yep, yeah, yep, a live track. Yeah, Ooh. there was there was no editing in that. It was just you and me watching a movie, joking about it, and talking about the concepts of what were going on. I I like that idea. I don't want to go on Instagram though. And I don't want to go on fucking Twitch. <laughs> I don't want to do that. 
But like if I could do a live show where people listen live and I could take their calls or their comments or whatever and do that, I would really fucking enjoy doing that. If radio wasn't a dying industry and could pay you an actual salary that that could you know you could actually live on sustain a life yeah 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 i would love to do that that would be one of my dream jobs is to do three hours i would do three hours a fucking day if they paid me i'd have no problem doing that wouldn't be bad so anyways sorry off on off on lots of tirades and tangents yeah nice tangent there (laughs) what about uh, a live fist fight about the best superhero movie oh well i mean well if i'm fighting dc fans it's not really a fight i mean it's just me versus a bunch of pussies so <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> oh, you're going to get so much anthrax mailed to your PO box, Ian. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't very careful DC about fans that. even have the balls. Oh, the balls. Yeah. Weren't we supposed to challenge people to try and kill us on every episode? Was yeah, that, that that <laughs> I'm still standing. I'm still standing, baby. Woo. I mean, you got a, you got a new fucking mic to challenge these jamokes. Yeah, exactly. My voice is only getting louder. Yeah, these jabokes, these jabronis, they they can't handle you, Nick. They can't handle you. <laughs> They're trying to shove me off the airwaves. I get it. You're like Happy my Harry Hart. Uh, here's my P.O. box <laughs> in Boston, Massachusetts. I always thought I that hate was women, so... and I hate DC movie. Oh my god. That was so fucking funny, man. I I love that idea of the P.O. box, but then anybody at all could go. Like, if you know, because he said he was a teenager going to that high school. So you know what his schedule is going to be. So there are only certain times that he could go and check that P.O. box. So, of course, if anyone followed him, they would find out who he is. Oh, yeah. Piece it together in a nanosecond. Doxed. Yeah. And and there's the thing, once again, a smart, a smart, strong female character does that. She finds out exactly who he is. And I, I thought that was great. And for her to, you know, continue to push the character and like you said, be the the real protagonist in this in this movie, I thought that was done very well. So I appreciate that a lot. Now, another thing he did on that show, which I or his his show, whatever you want to call it, I thought was good as well was the talking to the gay guy. You know, I I thought that whole conversation, now, maybe a little pandering, maybe, but once again, talking at that time in the early fucking 90s, to be talking to somebody like that about something that was realistic, I I thought that was really well done. Now, now here's where we're going to differ, Ian. You Uh ready? Uh Here's my main question. Oh, you hate gay people. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, yeah. Uh, my, yeah. my name my is bad. Ian. I hate women, <laughs> gay people, DC movies. I hate Marvel movies, too. They're only the ones with women in them. <laughs> I love how you added the hate woman thing in there. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't want to miss any of my my Ian best qualities. Oh, I, I appreciate those are my best qualities, too. Thank you. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Um, <laughs> around that period in the movie, like I loved the angle of them trying to track down, you know, the pirate radio because of what he had said about the high school administration. Mm-hmm. I loved that conflict. I loved the conflict about like, hey, the news is getting involved because, you know, maybe he he possibly incited somebody to kill themselves. Sure. That was a great conflict that was set up. What I didn't like at all was I honestly felt that the conversation and the venting session he had with the kid who got bullied over being gay, like, 
number one for me, not only did that not go anywhere, but I think the conversation itself kind of lacked a little meat. Like, I, I feel like there could have been a moral there. But we spend like five minutes total on the scene. Sure. It gets brought up a couple more times. And to me, it kind of felt like a throwaway. It felt really? like all of the conflict from the adults stemmed from like, this kid saying the F-bomb a lot. And he's, you know, riling up the kids. Okay. And I don't think it needed that part. I really think, to me, personally, it brought the movie down. See, I, I think that that goes to, once again, the whole being yourself part, right? I think that yeah. was showing. And they did, if you remember, they had the English teacher listening and then they had the cops listening at that point, too. And the guys like and even Shep Shep Shepard, which I thought was a great fucking name for that <laughs> for that reporter. Shep Shepard is just absolutely perfect of, of, you know, newscasters in the fucking 90s and stuff. But having them all listen to that part of the show and then comment on it, though, I thought that's where it brought everything together was because they were showing that he wasn't uh bigot or he wasn't a racist or he wasn't you know like he he was a kid who was listening to these people and trying to understand where everyone was coming from and he didn't start you know shouting fag you know what i mean like he didn't Mm -hmm. he didn't do any of the shock jock stuff that you might think he would do in that moment so that's why i think that was poignant and it still went to that whole the whole um, message, I think, which was be yourself and speak truth and also use your voice for good. If he had made that a whole funny thing, if he had tried to berate him or whatever it happened to you, I don't know how you would necessarily find humor in that, but you could. So for him not to do that, I think that's why it was important. And also to show the adults that were listening that it wasn't what they necessarily thought it was going to be. So even though the uh, many of the adults didn't believe it, they're like, oh, well, he faked this and, you know, he had someone call in and this is a script and it's scripted, that kind of thing. I, you know, that's besides the point. That's that whole adults don't understand thing, right? But I thought what the police chief or one of the detectives or whatever said was when he said to the guy, he was like, I don't think you remember what it's like to be young. I, I think that was important in that scene to understand that was the dichotomy of the adults and the kids, and the kids still trying to understand each other and realize that you can be, it didn't matter what your sexual orientation was, I guess, at that point, when when still, that was a tough topic to fucking have. I mean, oh yeah, that was very realistic. I had, I had at that time, you know, in, in middle school and, and high school and stuff, known gay people, and you hear those types of stories, and you're like, how are those three guys not gay themselves? You know, like that doesn't make any sense. How How is that bullying? You obviously wanted to get something out of that. And how is this guy the one made fun of when he knows what he wants in life and you guys are the ones being the bullies? How How does that work? You see what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's specifically why I didn't like the scene, because if you're trying to show that his voice has power, mm-hmm. how come nothing comes of it? You know, like everybody's having these conversations, but then there's no action. I thought the whole point of the movie was that. You use your voice to empower people mm-hmm. and like he's empowering change at the high school because people are listening to his show yep. and they're, you know, having their protests on campus. But on this thing, which should like obviously be an open and shut, like, you know who you are. These people don't know who they are. There's no resolution there. 
You know what? I got... To me, it just felt tacked on. See, that's the thing. I get that. But I also think the reason why you don't show, like all of a sudden you don't show like a gang of kids, you know, finding out who those three guys were and being like, you can't do, you know what I mean? I, I think that would have been the tacky part is that they had continued because what I think they were showing was you can't fix every problem. You can't. It's the same with the suicide. He couldn't help that kid. He couldn't help him. Now, maybe his speech later will help other kids to not commit suicide. But that might also be the case with this conversation of be yourself. And yes, you might have to deal with some shit. But in the real world, there isn't someone riding on a fucking horse coming to save the day. You are going to get bullied. And it is a screwed up situation. But if you continue to be yourself, it will get better. Like, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone say it will get better is in this movie. So I, I think you're right. If this movie came out now, I think you would need to do that. But I don't think it was right for the context of coming out in 1990. Gotcha. All right, that makes a little more sense. Now, how are you feeling about this this verbal smackdown that I'm giving you? I mean, your your points are just I mean, like you're wrong. slap around, like, like just bam, get out of here. Like this is nothing. Uh, no, I just uh, I still stand by the fact <laughs> that I think it didn't help the plot at okay. all. Uh, you're right in that it was established to kind of give moral weight to his words and prove that like he's helping people find their voice. Mm -hmm. But you could have done it in such a way that had like a tangible effect versus they had the conversation and the kid looked a little bit happier at the end. And then that beat is cut. Sure. Like you have 10 minutes dedicated to the storyline and it could have happened in a vacuum. I guess you learn a little bit more about Mark mm -hmm. And, you know, you uh, people in the airwaves know he's a good guy now. But there are other ways to do that that don't, you know, completely interrupt the flow. Like to me, I mean, maybe this is just, you know, looking back, I, I call it like the, the late 80s teen syndrome, <laughs> like movies like Less Than Zero with Robert Downey Jr., sure. where it's just people just wandering around. And I guess there's a plot in there. <laughs> but I, as we've talked in previous movies, I, I can see value in it yeah. but it loses momentum which is like the ultimate sin for me in a movie wow. because i really loved the characters up to that point and then to have this stutter step as they're building momentum like because the conflict in the background is accelerating the the teachers are trying to track him down sure. the fcc is getting involved the news is getting resolved involved and now we pause for 10 minutes to talk about like, oh, but they're getting involved. But remember, he's a good guy. That just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I guess I can see where you're coming from. I just don't know how you would have made a tangible change in something that was so intangible, I guess is how I would say it. Plus, let's not forget, he goes from having he has uh, I'm trying to remember just exactly how it worked. He had the talk with the girls who made up you know, the whole, you know, touching their brother thing or whatever. He had that call, that call that was fake. Then he had the call with, you know, Mr. Sirius, who ended up killing himself. I think you still need to have another call in there. And that's what this call was. I don't think you could leave it at those two. You got it's a rule of three, right? So that third call is him learning lessons from the previous call, using them on this call. And not only. I guess I'm looking at what the message is to the audience as well. So the audience doesn't necessarily have to. They already know he's a good guy. 
they already know that Mark's a good guy. So I don't think that that's the point of that. I think the message is still to the to the outside. It's the same as suicide isn't something you should do. Also, you know, being gay isn't a bad thing. And bullying people that are gay is a shitty thing to do as well. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think this I think this movie's just dealing with legitimate teen issues, just in a different yeah. way than any of those other teen dramedies of the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, I think the hard part for me was the next scene I if I'm remembering correctly, is like they're back at the school and the school's setting up their helpline or whatever, whatever yeah. acronym they use. And Bionic. I think you really like <laughs> Yeah, I think you really could have made the scene make a ton more sense if you just had more of a finality and a resolution to the call because then you'd have the juxtaposition of like hey these kids are having real problems and here is this kid teaching them like to own up to who they are in life Mm -hmm. and to have their own power and here's the school and the adults not understanding and being tone deaf i think that would have been so much better but that's what it was i mean uh, they they cut to Nora and her friend making fun of that bionic line, which I thought was still fucking great. When Nora's like, because they had like the times on it, I think it was like 8.30 to 3 or some shit. So <laughs> yeah. Nora, Nora's like, oh man, it's before school and I want to kill myself. Like, <laughs> I guess I'm out of luck. And her friend's like, oh no, it's after 3 p.m. I guess I'm fucked. Like, it's just, I don't know. I, I appreciated that. I think the whole point still was that the, Parents weren't going to understand. I think that was still, and Will Will yeah. Smith said it best, and I, I shouldn't plagiarize what he said, but parents just don't understand. They don't, Nick. So in this movie, I think you're not supposed to still, like, I, I think the father has redemption for sure, you know, at the end. I think he definitely gets re- uh, a redemption. The uh, English teacher is great. You know, even the guidance counselor actually changes his yeah, mind. Chirps up. Yeah, I think I think he had a, a character arc, even though it's a small one. Um, now, look, I will say I actually would have liked it. And tell me if I'm wrong on this one. I would have liked it if the mother, if Mark's mother knew that he was ha- happy Harry Hardon. I think that would have oh, been better. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. I was thinking that's what they were leaning to. In the uh, the PTA meeting, yes. because she's like, oh, I know why you're leaving. Like, I really wanted that to yeah. be part of the story, and it just didn't pay off. No, it didn't pay off because, but we got that great scene where they bust into the basement, and then Nora has that scene. So that's yeah. I, I know that's why they didn't do it, but maybe there should have been almost like a deleted scene. There's, there's a great, and I've talked about this on the show before when I did Donnie Darko. There's a great deleted scene in Donnie Darko where his father has a has a man-to-man talk with him and it's almost like his father tells him or or just basically says you know i i understand you you you're different and that's the way it should be and it's a very cool heartwarming moment between it's a weird conversation but it's in that cool weird where you're like this is a dad that understands and that would have been a cool moment to have with the mom where she put everything together and doesn't call him on it, but lets it subtly known, sorry, subtly known that she knows who he, you know, what he's doing and why he's doing it. I, I would have liked something like that for sure. So yeah. I, I get what you're saying, but I think in the 90s, especially, you're still in that momentum of adults bad, kids good. 
and you're not really going to get out of that because even in fucking Heathers, it's it's the same thing. It's it's not until much later that you get movies that really show more understanding parents and parents that can talk to their children better. That that is kind of a trope of the 80s and 90s that they don't get to until later. Yeah. We have to talk about as well. I was a huge fan of the music. Oh yeah. That was so well done. I mean, I love the Pixies. And I wanted to mention this to you because I, I don't know if you thought about this or not. I almost wonder if this movie had come out in 1991, would there be a bigger emphasis on Kurt Cobain? Would there have been, you know, Nirvana songs? I, I worry that it might have changed the message a little bit, but because Bleach came out in 89, they didn't they didn't hit until Nevermind. But I think that that whole philosophy of what Kurt Cobain was and what he did for a generation, I think that would have been used a lot had this movie came out in 91 instead of 90. Yeah, and I think the other side of that, unfortunately, is I, I think it would have been representative of a different time. Mm-hmm. I, I think it you know, obviously has to shift in tone a little bit, shift in style. Sure. And I think that's a, a period of re-empowering of radio. Because once, you know, grunge becomes popular and alt-rock is on the radio all the time, people are tuning in a lot more. Yeah, and it's but not always about talk shows. Right. Well, that's that's the thing. But then also remember, it got rid of the entire hair metal. Hair metal just disappeared. So oh, yeah. It, it just destroyed a lot of radio stations too because they're like, what do we even do now? So it is a kind of interesting thing. But I, I just – I always thought about that. I always thought, would that impact be there um, I always thought that was interesting, but I loved they had the Pixies on, they had the Beastie Boys and random rap that I think did really well. And then fuck man, that Leonard Cohen song is so fucking perfect for this movie. <laughs> You're right. The, the the music choices were impeccable. Some of the weird underground rap didn't really resonate with me. Well, right. right. I, I would get how that's you know just part of the period, and so. that's you know. Hollywood producers trying to adapt to what kids like. Right. But it was a phenomenal movie choices. And I have terrible taste in uh, music. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) Terrible Terrible taste. So, look, I don't want to make everyone like all moist out there or anything. But I have to, I have to, can I do my Leonard Cohen impression for you? Oh, I'm excited. Do it, do it, do it. All right, let's see. I, I might have built it up too much. I'm, it was probably better to do this naturally instead of setting it up. <laughs> Let me try it out. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. It's not too bad. All right, I didn't like the enthusiasm. I must have fucked it up. Damn it, I thought I had it. No, you definitely have the tone. <laughs> it's just hard to do it on the spot because I is. guess if you roll into it more naturally, yeah. you, know, you get the flow right. Yes. Oh, there you go. I like that. You want to try it out? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I don't want to get more hate mail. <laughs> then I'll have to separate it from the anthrax envelopes in my P.O. box. Yeah. <laughs> your, your P.O. box is 6969. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. <laughs> But yeah, man, I I, I want to see. Is there anything? I mean, like I said, we're not going we're not going scene by scene in this movie. But did you have any other? I would love to swart some of your other issues with the movie. Oh, the whole ending. 
Oh, okay, we should get, to, okay. So let's just do this then. So basically, as you mentioned, the FCC is looking for him. The The cops are looking for him because they're saying once the airwaves have traveled over state lines, that it's a, it's a federal thing. It's, it's a big thing. The school is worried because, you know, the, so it's the principal is the one doing this illegal act. Now, by the way, I also thought it was very funny that the, the guy with the glasses who was like basically her enforcer, I don't know if he was like vice principal or what, I don't know if they ever said what his role was in, in the actual school. But remember when he like beat the crap out of that kid? <laughs> Punched that kid in the stomach. Yeah, he assaulted that kid yeah. on school grounds. He punched that never him got resolved. And then, yeah, he never got fired. He never had anything bad happened to him. Now we're assuming that when the when the principal gets let go or suspended or whatever, that he also has that happen to him as well. I'm I'm assuming that happens. But I always thought that was very funny that he was not fired on the spot. But that was the fucking '90s, baby. You could hit students. Yeah. <laughs> those are the days <laughs> those are the glory days <laughs> alright so that's that's the backdrop for everything that's happening basically Mark has many times in, in, the, in the movie where he says he's not going to go on again you know it starts when the kid commits suicide uh, and then it, later on when he thinks he's going to get caught and all that kind of stuff he, he doesn't want to do the show anymore and then Nora basically says yeah you should and then Nora gets expelled and some of her friends also get expelled. By the way, Seth Green is in this movie. Yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah, he's just randomly in it. Um, it's very similar to how Seth Green is also in It, the the miniseries movie. So I, I grew up watching Seth Green in these in these weird adaptations and stuff. But so go ahead. What is your? Do you want to outline the rest of the ending and then say your problem with it? Yeah, just to just to give the brief overview and set the stage of. Yeah, all the students, they've been meeting in this one, like, I guess, like the baseball field behind the school or something, yeah, yeah. where they get the best reception for the pirate radio station. And all these kids have their amped up stereos all cranked up together so they can, you know, have the tension broken. You know, maybe he's on, maybe he's not. He said he's hanging up the the mic. The mic. We'll see. <laughs> and then uh, the FCC is all there. And it's it's clear that, you know, they're the big guy. guy. They're going to they're gonna shut down um, at whatever cost, I think the FCC chairman says. Right. who showed up in person for some odd reason. And <laughs> so, yeah, the the way they're going to get around the conflict is, oh, they can triangulate it because they're assuming he's in one location. Right. So they're going to drive around with the pirate radio station and just have an antenna in the back of a Jeep that he stole from his mom. Yes. Bar. And he's going to be able to talk to, yeah, bar, yeah. He's going to be able to talk directly to the people. Right. That's great. Great outline. Um, totally, it just for me, it rode the wrong side of that weird, kooky, 80s teen movie resolution thing where it's sure. everybody's dancing to the music and everybody's upbeat and nobody killed themselves three days ago. And oh. we're dancing on the roof of the limo of the FCC guy. Oh, yeah. And fuck yeah. And yeah. To me, that that totally just ruined the tone of that scene for me because, oh, yeah. you know, you've got the guy in the truck who's trying to evade federal officers. <laughs> As they have like a life or death struggle and he's trying to have this emotional chat about finding your voice and being strong in who you are and that life sucks and that it only gets better. And at the same point, people are dancing on limos and it's like, oh, God, there's got to be a better name for it. But it's like the typical cheesy 80s action movie like, oh, yeah, the kids triumphed over the big evil corporation. That's what they're doing around the FCC and that whole bit. 
Ugh. And it just ruined the theme for me. Like you have these amazing speeches by Christian Slater and then they cut abruptly to black and then it's kids dancing around in a dugout, you know, yelling at this big DC fat cat for a couple minutes. Well, and I'm just, <laughs> well, here's fucking <laughs> schlocky and it's fucking schlock. I think you're being way too cynical. So this is, <laughs> had to, let me, let me go point by point on this one. So All right. they are, Tell me how that fits into the movie about finding your voice we'll after do. committing suicide. Yes, I, I I get it. So look, they they wanted they they needed some way of him being once again smarter than the FCC, and so they had oh, to make yeah. it. It was a little bit silly, of course. I, I I totally get that. Now he did not have a heart to heart with them until he saw how many people he truly affected, right? Because he oh, never. Yeah. He, I mean, throughout the movie, he sees more, you know, he sees more times that his tapes are be, are getting passed around. So he hears what he's doing every once in a while. He heard a remix of the guidance counselor at one point, and then he saw the the uh, graffiti and stuff like that. So yeah. he knew he knew he was getting out there, right? He knew that he was popular, and he knew that you know this was kind of going through the school. But he had never seen a manifestation like yep. he saw after they were driving around. So yeah. what, I, what I would say is that that whole scene where they're dancing and they're having fun is, is once again, it is a stick it to the police. I mean, that one chick uh, lit off all the fireworks, you know, by the, by the FCC and stuff. It's still a rebellious nature of the kids. They realize he's not going to hide. He is going to come on the air. So he's playing his dumb music, right? He's playing the dumb music. So, of course, they're going to celebrate. They're not going to be like glued to their to. I mean, he's playing, you know, hi hi dad, I'm in jail. You know, like it's not realistic. Like this is serious moment time. It only became real serious moment time when his voice modulation uh, broke, and he saw the manis- the manifestation of everything that he had done. Because before they're just driving around the fucking jeep. And every once in a while, they see an FCC car. But then the police start getting involved. So he realizes that this is a serious situation. And if you notice, when he does pick up the mic and, you know, it's his real voice and he has to talk to people, that's when there's no more dancing. There's no more, you know, like hokiness. He is talking directly to them and they're listening. And they realize how serious it is of what he's doing, yet he is not hiding and he is still standing up for them. And he tells them, you know, this is what you should do. This is what you need to do. Continue being yourself. The airways are yours. Fight back. Be yourselves. All that kind of stuff. You know, life sucks. High school is the worst, but it gets better, like you said. All that stuff is when it becomes serious. He doesn't have a serious conversation and then they start dancing and then you know, and then they go back to serious or anything. And then the end of the movie, besides the as they pan out hearing some of the, the new pirate radio stations, is him and Nora getting arrested. And the, yeah. the realistic part of that is, sure, they probably get to plead down because they found out this vast conspiracy you know, that was happening in the school, which was way more legal than anything that they were doing by broadcasting a pirate radio station. So they probably got, you know, everything, you know, maybe they had to do probation or some shit, but it ends with them being fucking arrested by the feds. So I would say that is a realistic ending 
to the movie. And he got his, you know, he got to say talk hard, which is a fucking great catchphrase, by the way. And I've used it on this show for years. Uh, absolutely, that's perfect. So I, I just don't get the nitpicking of what the end message was and how it was portrayed. I I, I get that it became a little 80, 80s hokey you know, with the driving around, but they needed something like that to continue the show. Otherwise, if he just did a show in his room, he'd be caught and there wouldn't be that end moment. Yeah, I think it was, for me, it was just the change in mood. It was drastic and kind of unpredictable because you have to remember the kids were all meeting in the dugout and they're like hanging a caricature like like a dummy of the principal yeah, and lighting it on fire. fire. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, and it's, that's <laughs> deep and that's dark. And then you know you're you're assaulting a federal agent, and then well, wait, where was the assaulting? Yeah, where was the assaulting the federal? Oh agent? yeah, you're right. Yeah, that hyperbole for oh, dancing okay. on the limo, yeah, of the yeah. FCC chairman calling yeah. him a wig. <laughs> and then abruptly, like right in the middle of that, you get the resolution. Like, right as they're, like, driving off-road, you get the resolution yeah. of, oh, the principal's going down. The dad yes. found out about everything with the English teacher. Perfect. And I think that timing, to me, was just so wrong. I think you can have, you know, the kids be rebellious, and then you can transition to something hard. But to have your resolution to, like, the actual, like, con- I don't want to call it the actual conflict, but you know what I mean. Like, sure. the the cheating scandal, the the veil being drawn about why the school is so successful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think when, putting that right before his speech yeah. didn't make a ton of sense. And they abruptly cut right as he's giving the details that he knows about the people getting expelled. But remember though, if they hadn't have done that though, at that time, then there would be no need for him to go on the air again, technically. So they had to, you know, the English teacher was fired. And Nora was expelled. So that was the that was the justification for him planning to do the last ride with the Jeep. Yep. If the guidance counselor had the time to find out the information she did and go to his his dad and tell him, here's all the information, have him look at it, and he fired the woman, then he wouldn't have even had to get on the radio. Like, you see what I mean? Like, timeline-wise, it's the only place that it can actually happen. And why couldn't they just hand over the evidence after he gives, you know, his version of account- of events on the radio? I mean, like, thematically. I, I don't think it existed until the English teacher was willing to, because she had already been let go, she was able to find out the information. It's the same thing as, yeah. what remember the, remember the word, I mean, sorry, the saying they said multiple times. Don't rock the boat, especially when you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. So once once he says that, the teacher probably realizes, oh, well, now I can – I mean, it's not like – now, look, if the teacher had – sorry, if his dad had said, oh, and now she's reinstated and she's the principal now, like that would have been fucking ridiculous. But I think having the conversation like, hey, you're fucking suspended or you're, you know, you're fired, whatever, I think it was justified because – I I can't imagine it being anywhere else in the film with him still having to do something. That's that's the whole thing. I I can't I can't see that being the case any other way. He got to read off some of the names that had happened that day while he's being chased around, and then that scene happens. I if it happens before that, you don't get that. You see what I mean? No, I, I think it should happen after. Is what I'm arguing. I think 
you know, he makes his emotional plea. And I think it would have been better thematically if he does it in a vacuum. He's talking to the kids. And like the adults always do, they weren't listening. And then to have the dad and the English teacher come forward after that, after he has his emotional plea to the kids to listen to their voices and trust themselves, I think that follows the trajectory of the mood a lot better. Huh. I don't know. I, I think I think that whole end scene where he is himself. So he doesn't have the voice modulation in and he's with the people. He is with all the people. He has shown himself. He has done everything that he said to be on the show, which is be yourself. He mm-hmm. does it in the only way possible. There, there. I see. I don't see a climax of the movie without him being himself with all the people because that's what he was talking about that entire time. So yeah. I, I don't see how you can then do a scene afterwards with the president. Like unless you did a fucking uh, what is Animal House ending. Or you have the people's uh, pictures uh, freeze-framed, and this is what happened to them after the movie. I I don't see how you do that, and we're by the time this movie comes out, we're way past that as a as a viable ending to a movie. Yeah. So I I I just think it. Yeah. Yeah. I I get the mood change. The beat better if you just delayed the police chasing them down Mm -hmm. by a minute, and then had that like the real world resolution with the principal. And then, you know, he still has to go to jail. Like, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> if you just gave him, like, 30 seconds of beat after, you know, the voice modulation is off and after he sees everyone in the field, yeah. I think that has a better resolution than, you know, he's getting chased and now he's becoming frantic and now his message is more powerful because, you know, they know the voice modulator is off, but now they can see him too. Yeah. They can see the real world trouble he's in. Right. And I think separating those two ideas, like the real world conflict is resolved. Okay. That's, you know, that's like a D storyline. That doesn't really matter. Sure. But to cram it in randomly in the middle of the chase, to me, doesn't make sense. Because why are you resolving the conflict in the middle of like the rising action for the protagonist where, you know, the FCC is involved for the first time. And this is the first real time he's in danger. Well, timeline wise, I think that's the only thing. I don't think you could. Gotcha. I honestly, that's that's all I can give you. I understand where you're coming from, but just timeline wise, they couldn't add an extra day. All of this happens. Oh no, not even yeah. a day, just thirty seconds. Yeah, but I just don't know without him talking because once he once he triangulate. Sorry, once he starts broadcasting from his house, let's say if he started to do that, they would be able to ping him right away. He doesn't want to get his parents in trouble right away. You see what I mean? So it's just yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I do. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I just don't know how else you would have been able to do it. I, it just seems like a 30 second shift to me. Just like rather than resolving it right before he has his big speech, you know, I just don't think the teacher. I don't think the teacher had the time to do it. She knew she knew that the commissioner was going to be there. She knew that everybody was going to be there. And I think that's that's the only way she knew how to – I don't think about, it, think about it logistically this way. How would she have ever been able to get that data to the commissioner? That is the absolute only way to do it. Yeah, and I think that even builds it up more because, you know, this is the first time he's seen it. And this is also the first time he knows that his son is doing this stuff. No, but he doesn't though. 
They don't they don't have but that. But he finds end. out like right then. Like the moist modulation is off now. Yeah, but they don't show it though. But you notice they didn't go hokey like that either. They didn't have him go, wait a second, that sounds familiar. Is that Mark? They didn't do any bullshit like that. So that's all that's all I'm saying is logistically speaking, it made sense of how that teacher, that English teacher, would have been able to get this data to the commissioner. Because there is no his they don't show his mom going like, oh my mark. They don't show him going, that's my son, get off of him. They don't do any of that kind of stuff. So it's it's a separate part of the story that's happening during the climax because I don't think it can take part anytime else. Yeah. And I think you just have to separate the two speeches that Mark gives. You gotta keep You've them got separated. the first speech. Yeah. yeah keep <laughs> <Ba-na-na-na>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you separate it, you know, it's only like a 30 second split. It's like he has his speech at the end of the voice modulator where he's, you know, talking about his, using his voice and, you know, the bad things the school has done. And then he loses it. And now he's making the emotional plea. You know what I say to this, Nick? I say, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Any Any other issues that you've had with the movie? I mean, no, other than that, I mean, you're right. We talked about it earlier. The The time was, like, perfect. You could have maybe shaved 10 minutes off. Yeah. But I think it was efficient with the time it had. Mm-hmm. It kept your interest the whole time. For me personally, it hiccuped a lot in the times it really could have been developing more momentum. And it hiccuped for me at the end as far as, like, resolving the real world as well as, like, giving, you know... The, the big resolution for, you know, the, the actual characters and the trouble they were going through. Right. But. Eh. Nope. I gotcha. I gotcha. I don't agree. <laughs> but I, I gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. But I appreciate you not being a coward and bringing this stuff to my attention. <laughs> I will think about it the next time that I watch Pump of the Volume. That is. <laughs> yeah. Why the fucking FCC guy have to be there in the first place? I think that's once that's again the hokey bit. Well, I but you know what? I think that was honestly to make fun of the FCC. Because you gotta gotcha. remember, that's a especially if you're making this kind of movie, you probably don't like the FCC in general. And by the way, the FCC is a fucking bullshit company. Oh yeah. The people that run the FCC are not voted on by by the people. They are a government agency that is appointed by them. So it's mm-hmm. someone who's regulating us as people without being voted on, which is absolute fucking bullshit. So to make fun of the FCC in any way possible is completely okay with me. And especially back then, people were fighting back against something they found. Now, nowadays, everyone just fucking gets on their fucking knees and sucks all the dicks. You know, they're just like, oh, well, please give me more regulation. You know, that's I think that's absolute fucking bullshit. But that's the FCC is a as an agency that is has so much power that we the people do not give them. Yeah. And that's why I think so many people hate the FCC. Oh yeah. And you could I mean definitely talking about it now, like in the podcasting world, the amount of shit the FCC is pulling around internet censorship. Oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yep. I think it yeah, it certainly reinvigorates that hate. Yes. Is that that goofy IG pie? A fucking uh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to go into that because I hate I hate him so much. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, you're right. It, it kind of you know gives us the parallels between when this was made and the prevalent media of the time. Yeah. Versus you know the way it applies now, I think it still works 
as, you know, the the high school find your voice movie. Yes. Right. Because really, you know, you can say Heather's is a high school find your voice movie, but in a completely different way. Yeah. In a much better way. That movie's flawless and Winona Ryder I do, is I, just... I honestly do think that Heather's is flawless. Yes. I, I probably even though so the reason why this movie especially is so high up for me, obviously, is because it it got me into a passion that I may not have gotten into to, to have the passion to do radio and to do podcasting and stuff. This movie really did spur that on. So, Mm. and freedom of speech has always been a huge thing for me. So that's why this movie is so high on my list, especially, but then Heather's is on, uh, Heather's is on a different level, just on every single thing. I've never, I don't know if I've known a dark comedy to be so perfect as Heather's is no matter ever watching that. I mean, you know, some of the stuff is, is out of date obviously because you know, when it was made, but it's almost like it doesn't even matter ever because that movie is so crazy good. So good. I am, I, I am with you with that. All right. So I have, I have a long quote for my end because how can I not now? Do you want to say any happy Harry hard on sayings uh, to say goodbye to everybody? No, uh, just everybody stay safe out there, stay warm, and uh, have your best. Do your best. <laughs> you know, your your bit is to never find a catchphrase to end the show with. Oh, but in real life, I have a million. Oh, I could be gross and use my favorite Michael Mann one every time. Well, why don't life you just... is short, time is luck. <laughs> I was one of the ten people who liked Miami Vice, the Michael Mann movie. Oh my God, holy shit. I'll admit to it. <laughs> Like, see, so everyone listening, you can take all of his criticism from earlier on the movie and just disregard it because he fucking likes that shit. Because I liked the first ever digital recorded movie or whatever, like one of the first five, (laughs) and it did not transfer to Blu-ray well. Oh, God, it's gross. That's hilarious. (laughs) Uh, All right, let me try this because I I have to do this. I, I think I would. I think I wouldn't be doing this movie justice unless I ended this way. So I got to end this Do way. it. Okay. This is really me now. No more hiding. Listen. We're all worried. We're all in pain. That just that comes with having eyes and with having ears. But just remember one thing. It can't get any worse. It can only get better. I mean, high school is the bottom. Being a teenager sucks, but that's the point. Surviving it is the whole point. Quitting is not going to make you strong. Living will. So just hang on and hang in there. You know, I I know all about the hating and the sneering. I'm a member of the why bother generation myself. But why... Did I bother to come out here tonight? And why did you? I mean, it's time. It begins with us, not with politicians, the experts, or the teachers, but with us. With you and with me. The ones who need it most. I believe, with everything that's in me, that the whole world is longing for healing. Even the even the trees and the earth itself are crying out for it. I mean, you can hear it everywhere. It's the same kind of healing I desperately needed and finally feel has begun.
with you. Thanks, everyone.